Okay, now, um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, you know the name, the great uh, 19th century minister. He once wrote uh, about the importance of what he called self-examination in the Christian life, self-examination. He wrote about the discipline of self-evaluation. That was his topic. He wrote about this. And as he wrote about introspection or self-assessment in the Christian journey, what Spurgeon did was furnish his reader with a couple of illustrations to flesh out how uh, as we live for Jesus, how we should pause and examine ourselves. What does it look like uh, to assess ourselves, to have some sort of self-criticism? So he, he gives a couple of illustrations. I want to give you those. I want to begin with these illustrations just now. So first, Spurgeon says this. In our self-examination, the Christian should be like a sergeant major. A sergeant major. Well, what does a sar sergeant major do? I'll tell you what a sergeant major doesn't do. A sergeant, a sergeant major does not inspect his troops from afar, does he? Sergeant major is not up looking at his troops from some window on a third story 200 yards away and inspecting his troops. What does a sergeant major do? He inspects his troops from up close, doesn't he, as they stand to attention. So the sergeant major will wander back and forth, won't he? Checking that all the boots are immaculately polished, that every brass button is shining. And Spurgeon says, that there, that is what the Christian is to be like in self-evaluation, that we should be examining our lives in minute detail, examining ourselves up close, so like a sergeant major. That's the first one. But then Spurgeon went a little bit further. I like the next one. Spurgeon said also that in self-examination, the Christian should be like an adventurer, or maybe we would like to put it like a backpacker. What does that mean? What does a backpacker do? Well, very often, if you've ever been, some of you will have been backpacking, I'm sure. Uh, what does a backpacker do? Well, what a backpacker doesn't do is very often take the well-worn route the backpacker doesn't sort of take the obvious road. What does a backpacker or an adventurer do? They head off the beaten track, don't they? They head off into the wilds. And Spurgeon says that this, that there, that too, is to be the Christian and self-evaluation. That what we should be doing regularly is examining the hidden areas of our lives, the backwaters of our lives. A sergeant major, an adventurer. I'm sure you'd agree, two quite helpful illustrations from Mr. Spurgeon. Well, this morning, maybe uh, this morning as we started, maybe you're wondering about these three sections of Scripture that we've got here. Maybe you're wondering what it is that holds these three subsections together. Why would we look at these three things together? Well, yes, maybe if you look at it, you'll see that Jesus uses a number of similar devices in each of the three subsections. So he uses parables in each. He uses questions in each. Did you pick up on the fact that he also uses pairs in each of the three sections? Did you see that? There's two blind people, 
There's good and bad fruit. There's two trees. There's a teacher and a student. There's two builders. There's two houses. You see, so Jesus, yes, he uses similar devices. But I think foremost, number one, what holds these together, these three sections, is a common thread, a common theme. So in each of these, what Jesus does is he pushes his people towards self-evaluation. So here before us in these three sections, Jesus appeals for what Charles Haddon Spurgeon was endorsing. This morning, right now, we're going to see the importance of self-criticism, self-analysis in the Christian life. And believe it or not, we're going to go on three congregational outings uh, this morning. We're going to visit three locations just now. First, we're going to go to an optician's. Second, together, we're going to go to an orchard. And then third, we're going to go to an overflowing river. Three congregational outings at no expense to the treasurer. Okay, so if you've got Holy Scripture there, please open it. Please keep it open. So it's Luke chapter 6, isn't it? And it's from verse 39 to verse 49. Let's, first of all, let's go to an optician's and uh, let's put these verses, the first subsection up on the screen. Okay, so the first, so section by section through the three subsections. Now, okay, confession time. As I project these things on the screen, I do have to confess to you that I found this first subsection that we're dealing with surprisingly complicated and surprisingly difficult. What seems very straightforward, what seemed very straightforward at the start of the week has caused me a series of, of major headaches through, the, through, headaches through the week. So, as you and I try to grapple with us, I think what we need to do, first of all, is just go to the middle, middle of what we've got here, right to the heart of it, and if you read with me verse 41, if you can see it there, let's read it. Why? Jesus says this. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice, I suppose it depends on your translation of the Bible, but why do you not notice the log or the beam that's in your own eye? Okay, so there we go. There's the, there's the middle of this. Now, I think obviously Jesus there is using some uh, humorous language. In a sense, it is funny in a sense, isn't it? This idea, this chap trying, oh, let me get that speck of dust out of your eye. All the time he's got this big wooden plank protruding from his, from his own. In a sense, it's funny, but clearly our Lord is making a very important point. <laughs> the question is, what point? Because a lot of people will just take this as being a continuation of what you and I looked at last week. So they'll take this as being just a continuation, like a general big point about judgmentalism. And though that is not wrong, I think Jesus' point here with the dust and the beam is a little bit more nuanced than that. So we've looked at the middle. Can I ask you to look at the beginning of the, the subsection here? I'll, I'll actually tell you what I want you to notice. I want you to notice that so much of it is about leading people, influencing people, 
instructing people, advising people. There we go. So at the beginning, so it's about, I'll say it again, it's about instruct, influencing people, advising people, teaching people. So we've got two things to look at at the beginning. The first is the parable. So look at the, look at the beginning. Look at the parable of verse 39. So Jesus says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not, what does it say? Will they not both fall into a pit? You, I think you've read that 100,000 times, have you? Like, I think we have, even from Luke's gospel. So I, I'm going to turn it over to you and ask you, how have you read that before? A blind man leads a blind man, they both fall into a pit. Have you read it almost as, oh, be careful who you follow? Almost as though that's the tone of it. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that that I don't think is right at all. Now, consider first of all that the emphasis there is on not following people. The emphasis is on leading people, isn't it? The blind man leads the people. Then think about the link with blindness. So you've got a blind man here. Wait, what did we just talk about? This chap with a blindness without a big wooden beam, <laughs> you know, protruding from his eye as he tries to influence another, as he tries to pick dust. What I think we've got here from Jesus in the parable, at least, is a caution. It's a warning about being too quick to try and lead others. A warning about to his people, be too quick to rush and to try and influence people lest we lead them to ruin so we've got the parable. Keep going, though, because the second of the two things is this proverb in verse 40. Again, I would ask you to read it, the proverb. So Jesus goes on. So we've had influencing people, leading people. And then he says, a disciple is not above who? His teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will, be, will actually be like his teacher. Now, I think in a congregation like this, I think we do know how it was in the ancient world, don't we? I don't know. We've got a number of teachers in the congregation, and we've got lecturers in the congregation. I don't know how they like the thought of this, but in the ancient world, students used to spend an inordinate amount of time with their teachers. In fact, we've got a lot of high school pupils. So guys and girls, how would you feel about that? So in the ancient world, students would sometimes live with their teachers. Does that sound good? Or even travel around with their teachers. Maybe it doesn't sound good, but do you, do you begin to see this similar idea? Jesus is saying, because this idea of teaching, advising others, because it's such an influential rule, what's he, a role, what's he saying? We have to be careful in the Christian life, careful of rushing in to instruct others, rushing in to offer counsel to others. Do you recognize the pieces of the jigsaw almost by themselves coming together? With this dust and beam, what's the point our Lord is making? Is it not this? That we should refrain from seeking to rebuke, advise, remove dust before one thing happens. What's that? Before we address the beam in our own eye, before we begin to address the major sins in our own lives. Now, I warned you, I warned you, it was a little bit more complicated than perhaps first seems. Maybe you're joining me and having a headache, but I think my wife has got paracetamol and ibuprofen if you need it with your coffee after uh, the service. Okay, so slightly more complicated than it seems. 
But what is there in terms of application here for St. Peter's? How do we change, seek to change in, in light of this? Well, I wonder if you picked up in the reading and the fact that so much of Jesus' language here, it stresses the Christian's lack of self-awareness. Did you pick up on that? Our lack of self-awareness. In verse 41, Jesus says, we don't see this log that's in our eye. And then it's even more than that in verse 42. This is something Jesus says, we don't even notice. We don't even recognize that there's this beam. Do you see what, what's happening here? What our Lord is doing is prompting you and me to self-evaluation. In this section, Jesus is calling for an honest self-criticism from his people before we even think about seeking to judge or advise or instruct other people. This is about introspection. But I know what you ask. You ask, well, what does that look like in the Christian life? Well, I want to suggest this morning a few things by way of practical application. Hear me on these. This week, one, in self-evaluation, there should be prayer. Now, that might sound obvious to all of us, but I would ask you, is it something that you do? Like, if we were to recognize the beam that's in our eye, that is currently hidden to us, surely the first step in the road here is to ask our God for help. Do we not this week ask God to reveal to us the major sins in our lives that Jesus is saying that we are blind to just now? So self-evaluation involves prayer. Second of all, there could also be some new openness in the life of the church. Um, I think looking around, uh, God has been incredibly good to his people at St. Peter's. We have, if you look around us, we have something at our disposal that many hundreds of thousands, millions of Christians throughout the world don't have. God has given, put into your life, a number of mature saints, wise older Christians with wisdom through the Holy Spirit. And I, of course, if we're going to evaluate ourselves, self-criticism, we've got to ask God about that. But I want to suggest to you this morning that we can also ask those people in the life of the church. Now, here, here's what I'm going to suggest. <laughs> Sounds strange. Bear with me. I want to suggest that we treat the mature believers in here like a spiritual opticians that you, Christian friend, that you can go to a mature believer that you know and love and trust, and you ask them this. You ask them, do I have something in my eye? You go to a mature saint, and you ask them, can you see sin in my life, sin that needs to be addressed? So we take this to God in self-evaluation. We take it to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but the third thing, the last of the things that we must do is we must take some action. And is that not the very point that Jesus makes here? If you look at the end of verse 42, listen to Jesus' words and how seriously he takes it. He says, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. <laughs> the tone of that. But can you see what Jesus is asking for? 
Jesus is not saying we evaluate ourselves so that we can see the sin in our lives. What is it? It's not just identification. It's take the log out of your eye. Jesus wants us in the power of the Holy Spirit to take action, to fight, to actually remove that sin. Friends, this is something, isn't it? Here in this first subsection, Christ pushes us to consider the beams that are obstructing our vision. This week, we must do this. We must prayerfully assess our sin. So we visited an optician. Second of all, I want us to visit an orchard. An orchard. I wonder if we can put up the second section, an orchard. Oh, I'm going to sound weird here, I think. But I do want to say that I find, uh, I think there's something almost uniquely beautiful about a fruit orchard. Do I sound weird? Maybe I sound strange. But I think there is something attractive, something beautiful about an orchard, a fruit orchard. What is that? Why is it attractive? Is it the orderliness of it? Is it the blossom at certain times of the year? Probably not. It's probably the produce, right? (laughs) It's probably what the orchard produces. I think there's something beautiful uh, about an orchard. Well, in order to further explain self-evaluation, do you notice the first word here? Do you see it? For. So in order to explain to us more about self-evaluation, what Jesus does beautifully is he takes us, he takes you this morning into an orchard. He takes you into a fruit orchard. And what he does is he points you to the trees that are around you. And what Jesus does is he shows you a principle or a law from nature. Jesus shows you a botanical rule that you can see if you look with me to verse 43. Now, do you see the rule? Jesus says to us, No good tree is going to bear, what is it, bad fruit. And then no bad tree is going to bear good fruit. And it's something, if you carry on, you'll notice that he immediately wants to illustrate so that you grasp it and I grasp it. Do you see? He says, figs, beautiful figs. Where do they come from? They don't come from thorn bushes. Grapes. We want grapes, beautiful grapes. He says, they aren't from bramble bushes. Do you see there is this botanical principle, this botanical rule? I I personally could be wrong, but to be honest, I think the main point here is much easier for us as Christians to grasp than in the previous section. Can, Can you see what it is? What is Jesus saying here? He's saying to you that there is a similar principle at work in your life just now. That if you, Christian friend, want to know the true state of your heart, You're given an indication of that by your life. Like, do do you see that Jesus is saying that to you? He's saying there is this very clear, truthful, direct correlation between what it is that your life is producing just now, a direct correlation between that and actually the true state of what's going on in here, deep within. Now, there's the general principle from our Lord, but I, I want you to wrestle with it. You'll do that with me, will you? I want you to notice a particular emphasis that Jesus makes. Um, were you here last Sunday night? Were you here last Sunday evening? Um, many of you were. Last Sunday evening, Will was preaching, preached a great sermon. I was going to say stotting sermon. I think that's, we understand what that is. 
I'm going to preach a great sermon on the Christian's speech. Will preached on the Christian's words. Great sermon. If you if you weren't here, if you haven't listened to it, you can you know what you're doing this afternoon. You can you can go back and and listen to it. But if you're on the ball and you look at this subsection here, is that not what is in our Lord's focus as well? But look at the, the, the way that this climax, look at the end of this section. This is Jesus' emphasis. I'll read it to you. The very last line, Jesus says, because he's talking about fruit and tree and produce, and he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? Our mouth speaks. Isn't that amazing for us? So Jesus is saying it is not just our actions. It's not just the way that we live, but especially it is our words and our speech that indicates to us the health of our hearts. I think that's fascinating, and, and I'm going to stand in front of you and say it's incredibly challenging. But I also want to, to bring you one further observation, and I want you to hear it, please. Here's the observation. This before you in this subsection. This is for you. And Christian friend, this here right now from Jesus is about you. This is for you, and this is about you. Now, I wonder if you can see, if you wrestle with and you think across Scripture, can you see why I feel forced to say that to you? Elsewhere in the Bible, what we find is other biblical authors, and they take the same botanical rule. You know, remember the rule? about fruit and, and trees and revealing the nature of the tree, other biblical authors, they use that as a help for assessing and evaluating other people. Isn't that right? Other people. Matthew 7. Let me read Matthew 7 to you. Now, listen, you'll get the botanical rule. So Jesus and Matthew says, are grapes gathered from thorns? Are figs from thistles? And then we hear this. Jesus says, and beware of false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruit. Do you see it? Elsewhere, this rule is to help us evaluate and assess other people. But what I need you to recognize this morning at St. Peter's, that is not what is happening in Luke chapter 6. Jesus here is saying, no, this is for, for you. This is for my people. This here is to push us to self-evaluation. This is for us. This is about assessing ourselves, self-criticism. So how do we do that? What do we do? Well, let me try for a, a cultural reference that only those of a certain age at St. Peter's are going to get. And don't worry if you don't get it. But I, I want to know, do you know who I'm talking about? If I talk about the man from Del Monte. Do we know who I'm talking about if I talk about the man from Del Monte? Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, I know who, who the man from Del Monte is. Other people are thinking, no, I don't know who that is. Who's the man from Del Monte? So if you're too young and you're making us ill about our age or you're from a different part of the world, <coughs> the man from Del Monte was a famous character in a series of adverts on TV, adverts for orange juice, okay? It was the man from Del Monte. And the man from Del Monte, he just used to cut about in his nice white linen suit and his hat... And he used to be walking around his fruit trees, be walking past all of his workers, okay? 
And he would be, the man from Del Monte, he would be picking his oranges from the, from the tree and he'd be assessing these oranges. And all the workers are looking on at the man from Del Monte and they're wondering, is the fruit going to pass muster? In fact, what were they all wondering? They're wondering, is a man from Del Monte, is he going to say yes? Is he going to say yes? Now that might seem daft, but in all seriousness, that is what our Lord is calling for from you in this portion of Scripture. This second subsection here is to push you to pick and to assess the fruit in your own life, to assess it truly, prayerfully, and properly, that you might have an indication of the true health of your spirituality, the true health of your heart. And God is so good to you. Because you know what Jesus gives you? He gives you a checklist even. You know, as we do this, we can look to Galatians chapter 5, can't we? What do we find? We find the, the fruit of the Spirit. And so this week, you can look there and say, is there in my life, is there love? Is that a characteristic of my life? Is there the fruit of joy in my life and, and peace and patience? And all of that is true. But what is the emphasis? Do you remember? The emphasis is on our speech. So we have to ask ourselves, how am I speaking? What are my words like at this juncture in my Christian walk? I ask you, is there often found kindness on your lips, Christian friend? Is that a characteristic? Have you assessed your speech? Are you a person that is really there very quickly to encourage other people? Do you just love building up other people in the Lord? Do you love telling people about Jesus? Is that your speech? Or is there very often just bitterness, unkindness, criticism, anger? Our Lord here wants us to assess these things that we might cry out to God to, to continue, please, oh God, to renew our hearts that we might be ever more like his son. We visit an optician's, we visit an orchard, and then most briefly, we visit an overflowing river, an overflowing river. Um, ministers of the gospel, um, preachers, we are accused very often of misusing one particular phrase. So ministers and preachers are accused a lot of misusing the phrase, and in conclusion, <laughs> uh, you might think that we are bad. Uh, we have a colleague who will remain nameless who is famous for using that phrase about 15 times per sermon, and you're just sitting there thinking, you're lying to me when you say, and in conclusion, you liar. Uh, well... Jesus has covered so much in Luke chapter 6 and the sermon on a plateau, the sermon on a, a plain. But really it is at this point that our Lord, he brings the sermon to close. Our Lord, in a sense, says, and in conclusion here. And do you know, he brings it to a close with the most pointed application. So what do we have? Well, if we put it up on the screen, we have... So maybe as you scan that on the screen or you scan it in front of you, maybe you feel like singing. Do you? Maybe you feel like singing that Sunday school song about, do you remember the, the foolish man? 
building his house on the sand. Maybe that's what goes through your, your head just now. If it does, it's not quite right. Because unlike Matthew's gospel, the emphasis here is not on different locations for a, a build. It's not on different locations. There's no mention of sand. The emphasis here is on what happens in the same location. Do you notice that? To, to build a house, what does one builder do? What does the wise man do? He digs. In fact, do you know what's the emphasis on? He really goes to town and is digging. He digs deeply. And he makes sure that his house is built upon this rock. What's the other guy do? He does not bother. And then the waters come up. This river overflows. It results in one house being entirely unaffected. What about the other one? What about the other house? Entirely destroyed. Now, what is the point here? Well, yes, you can see by the opening phrase, can you? By the opening phrase, that this is about you and I being doers of the word. Isn't it? This is about us listening to Jesus, responding in obedience. Yes, that is true. But wait a minute. Again, can you see that what Jesus is doing is prompting us to self-evaluation? Here at the end of the sermon, Jesus is looking at his people, his disciples, pushing us to ask, well, wait a minute, how do I respond to God's word? What do, what do I do? Do I just reflect on these things? Do I seek to put this into action? So, Christian friend, I, I simply bring that to you here to ask you, how does God's word land with you? You have heard so much from Jesus in recent weeks in Luke 6, haven't you? About loving our enemies, about not judging other people, about forgiving people, about acting in generosity. How, how, how has that landed with you? Have we responded and, and sought in God's power to change? Have we sought obedience or has it been different? for us? Have, have we listened but done nothing more? Well, what strikes me is that if it is the latter, it should waken us up. Because do you notice that Jesus ends this servant here in a way that he would be rebuked for in many churches today? Jesus doesn't end the sermon with positivity and good news and love. His emphasis is on the fallen house here. Jesus ends with that negative focus. He ends with a warning of the dangers of listening to him and not responding. But I'll end with this. I'll say, and in conclusion, and I'll mean it, I promise you. Um, I want to end by affirming that what you have in front of you is not a picture of salvation by works. I hope every single person in this room this morning understands that. I hope you understand that Jesus is not saying you can build a house that will survive the floodwaters of God's judgment. Jesus is not saying that you can make yourself right with God by your sin, but my sin, we cannot do it. But what has Jesus of Nazareth done in love for his people? He has lived righteously, hasn't he? So he has loved his enemy and not judged. He's done that, but look at our sin. You look at yourself, if there's self-examination, even in this hour this morning, you recognize, don't you, our sin has accrued such a debt before God. So what has Christ done with that? Oh, Christian friends, think about the three materials that Christ has brought before us this morning. What were they in these three parables? There was a wooden beam in an eye, was there? What else? There were trees, bore fruit, there was a rock, 
on which a house was built. What has Christ done for you? Jesus of Nazareth, in love for you. He's taken a wooden beam, not from an eye, but across his back. And Jesus of Nazareth has struggled with that wooden beam up the Via Dolorosa, up towards Calvary. And he's looked up Jesus of Nazareth and he has seen the most cruel means of execution. He has seen a cross and the righteous son of God has willingly gone there to that tree that, that bears for his people the, the greatest, most precious of fruit. And what has he done at that cross at Golgotha? He has paid that debt of your sin in full. That there in the darkness, Jesus Christ has become the rock upon which his people's eternal life is built. In response to that, will we not do as Charles Haddon Spurgeon encouraged us to do? Will we not do as Christ exhorts? Will we not go from here and examine ourselves? Ask yourself, do I love him? Do I love Jesus? Is he my Lord? Is he my savior? And if so, and all by grace, am I seeking to live in obedience to the one who paid my debt, to the one who laid down his life? For his church. Friends, let's bow our heads and let's pray.